0: You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast.
1: Legacies can't really be made in game two of a conference final, but they can take a step back. And that is the great danger that comes into tonight's matchup between the Celtics and the Heat. It's Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Jason Fitz flying solo for a power hour. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. We are going to get you caught up and ready for all sorts of of action tonight in the NBA. Of course, you know I have plenty to say on name, image, and likeness and the, some of the conversations we've had in college football. We'll get to that in a few minutes. But we start tonight with Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. And the Straight Talk is, legacy is interesting, especially when you're talking about somebody like Jimmy Butler. Now, game two tonight, Celtics heat. Heat up one nothing in this series. You could argue there's not much on the line. It's early in a seven-game series. But... That forgets the way society views legacy particularly. See, we're slow to give out credit to any player as they develop. We're slow to give out credit for greatness. We always find a yeah, but. Whenever there's an opportunity to yeah, but a success, we do it, especially in the NBA. How often have we talked about the fact that championships alone become at some point the defining category that we look at every player through? Right or wrong, that's part of the way we cover the NBA, right? Like, so at some point, Chris Paul's legacy is no longer Chris Paul's greatness. It's, will Chris Paul be one of the greats that never wins a chip? Because everything's about that. But until you get to that point, there's this process, this escalator of greatness. And it's hard. It's hard to get everybody to come to your side. It's hard to get everybody to pay attention. It's hard to fight through the yeah buts. Until you have one negative moment. See that's one of the interesting things to me. About the way we judge athletes. And greatness. We want to yab yeah, but their successes. But we never want to yab yeah, but the steps backs. So what you're looking at for right now is Jimmy Butler, who came into Game 1 and was dominant as he has been through the playoffs. And you've heard so much about whether or not we've talked about the Heat enough, whether or not we've given enough love to Jimmy Butler, whether or not the Heat and Jimmy Butler can rise to this level where they are talked about with the greats, right? All of that can be yeah-butted because in Game 1, the Celtics didn't have Marcus Smart. They didn't have Al Horford. Tonight, that changes. I can't believe I'm saying this, but it looks like Horford and Smart. Horford has somehow got his way back in. Smart will be there. And now all of a sudden you end up with a fuller version of the Celtics. You end up with a more complete version of who we expected to see from the Celtics. Marcus Smart, the reigning defensive player of the year, right? Like it gives you all of these other opportunities to look specifically at the Celtics and say, yeah, what you know, game one was an aberration. Game one didn't matter as much. See, he did everything he did, Jimmy Butler, in game one because of everything that Boston was missing. Think about it. How many people changed their mind on the entire series after game one? Not many. Feels like most of the people that were still all in on the Celtics are still all in on the Celtics. After game one, nothing really changed. So even through Jimmy Butler's greatness, if he's great, Against a Celtics team that's lacking pieces, well, that's the yeah, uh, but they weren't full. Now, with those pieces back, sure, one game, game two, that's not going to suddenly make Jimmy Butler the next Michael Jordan. It's not going to put him in the category that his name has been put with, as some people have looked at the analytics. No. But if he doesn't play well, oh, that's all the excuse anybody could need to doubt him. And look, he hears it. Nick Friedel, ESPN NBA reporter, on this show last night talked about Jimmy Butler and everything that he's heard about the way he's been talked about.
2: Jimmy heard all the talk before the series. Oh, Jason Tatum's elevating to that superstar level. <laughs> he's <laughs> he's going to take another step in his progression. He knocked off KD in the first round and Giannis in the second round, and now he's going to get by the heat and deliver the Celtics to the finals. And as usual, <laughs> Jimmy took it personally. Mm. And, and what always cracks me up, having been around him for so many years, is Jimmy will say, I, I don't pay attention to that. That's not true. <laughs> he knows full <laughs> well what the conversation is before these series start.
1: That The fact that he knows it full well tells you he understands everything that's on the line. We all do. Because as I've said so many times in sports radio in general, sports media in general, our job is to write a book report. Unfortunately, we don't get to wait until books are completed, right? So we're forced to decide whether or not a book is good, great, the best ever, the worst ever, a total failure, an abject disaster, uh, worth it, exceeding our expectations, all of these things after one chapter. Could be a lot of chapters to that book, but we're not given the benefit of time To basically step back and say, let's see. And what happens eventually is that we get so far into a really good book that we keep looking for a reason that this page isn't living up to the expectation. Not even this chapter. This paragraph wasn't good enough. That's what we do. And you know it. Jimmy Butler goes out tonight, absolutely destroys. He'll get a little bit more love. If he goes out and absolutely thrashes the Celtics, he'll get a little bit more credit. If he goes out and lays an egg, oh, that's your lead story. Man, if Jimmy Butler goes out and doesn't play well, oh, that is everything they'll be talking about. Jimmy Butler might not be what we thought he's going to be. It's crazy to me. And all of this comes back to the fact that, as we said, it looks like the Celtics are going to be more complete as a roster. In fact, Gary Washburn, Boston Globe National NBA writer, said this on Canteen Carlin about how Marcus Smart looks right now.
2: Well, apparently he looked okay at shoot-around. I mean, he looked, he was fine on the end of the bench. I mean, he had his nice shorts set on and he was walking with, with a little, like kind of a, you know, little thing on, around his leg, but he didn't look hobbled at all. I mean, um, during game one in terms of like, you know, with a boot or anything like that, he didn't have that on. So, I think that was an encouraging sign. And then uh, over the last two days, I think he's made progress. They've given him kind of a 24-hour treatment. And so uh, unless, barring any unforeseen thing pre pregame workout, I think he's going to play um, with that midfoot sprain.
1: That's a game again you'll hear tonight on ESPN Radio. But here's the straight talk. Straight talk, wireless, no contract, no compromise. I started this entire series picking the Celtics. I watched game one, and I didn't feel good about it. I don't know necessarily who's going to win game two. You guys hear me talk openly about my inability to place great bets so far, right? I can't tell you for certain who's going to win game two. I can tell you that I feel like there's a lot of pressure on Miami. But I can tell you even more importantly, the real straight talk, whatever Miami does as a team will never be outshadowed tonight by what Jimmy Butler does as an individual because we've reached the spot in his legacy where people are so worried about finding reasons to doubt him that instead they're not looking at the complete resume of anything anymore. They're looking at every individual for the, every individual moment for the player. And until that changes, nothing's going to change for Jimmy Butler. Spain and Fitz presented by Progressive Insurance. Progressive Insurance makes bundling home and auto easy. Learn more at Progressive.com. College athletes are allowed to get paid. College coaches don't know how to react. And two of the biggest names in college sports made asses of themselves. We'll tell you about it later next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio.
0: Spain and Fitz, the podcast.
1: Whenever a kid decides that they're going to wear the jersey, we often find as fans in his administration, people stepping up and saying, remember, you always represent the jersey on your chest. Everywhere you go, everything you do, everything you say represents the logo on your chest. What do you do when the two highest paid educators in their respective states that are representing those logos do it in an absolutely ignorant way? That's what college football is going to have to figure out right now. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Jason Fitz flying solo tonight. We're short. We'll get back to the NBA. Don't worry. We're going to have some great guests on to get ready for the game, get ready for the action. And we're only an hour long as you can listen to the Eastern Conference Finals tonight on ESPN Radio. Uh, we're presented by Progressive Insurance. And, uh, look, I've, I've been thinking about this all day because when powerful coaches speak, when they sit in front of a microphone, Everybody listens, and there's always an intent. Now, sometimes they're speaking to their players. Sometimes they're sending a media message. Sometimes, as some would argue, they're even speaking to their boosters about what they need, especially at the college level. But you know what you're doing the minute the mic is in front of your face. So every move is calculated, especially when your name is Nick Saban. So when Nick Saban said this about Texas A&M, he knew exactly what he was doing.
2: I mean, we were second in recruiting last year. a and was first. and bought every player on their team, made a deal for name, image, and likeness. All right? We didn't buy one player. All right? But I don't know if we're going to be able to sustain that in the future because more and more people are doing it.
1: Nick Saban came out and made absolute accusations towards Texas A&M. Now, many of you will point out that he has since walked that back a little bit with what he meant. But he said exactly what he meant. He's Nick Saban. He knows what he's doing in front of a microphone. So when Saban says this about a and all of a sudden we find ourselves immediately saying, what's Jimbo Fisher going to say? Texas a and head coach had a press conference today. And first, he wa- I want to stress this portion is Jimbo makes it clear no rules have been broken by A&M.
2: 1st of all, I'll say it's a shame that we have to do this. It's really despicable. It's despicable that somebody can say things about somebody and an organ. more importantly, 17-year-old kids. You're taking shots at 17-year-old kids and their families. And they broke state laws. That they're, that they're, they're all money. We bought every player on this group. We never bought anybody. No rules were broken. Nothing was done wrong. It was all in the, and the way we do things, the ethics in which we do things. And these families, it's despicable that a reputable head coach could come out and say this when he doesn't get his way or things don't go his way.
1: Now, you can hear the emotion in Jimbo Fisher's voice. And it's easy for a lot of people to turn around and say, hey, Nick didn't mean that any rules were broken. He just meant figuratively that these things were happening because of the new collectives, very difficult to explain, and the way that boosters are giving money to kids and funneling money to kids so that they'll come to their college. You could say all that. And maybe that's true from Nick's standpoint. And you could say, if that had been all that Jimbo had to say, that he handled it well. But he also took it there when he said this about Nick Saban.
2: Some people think they're God. Go dig into how God did his, his deal. You may find out about, about a guy that a lot of things you don't want to know. We built him up to be the czar of football. Go dig into his past or anybody that's ever coached with him. You can find out anything you want to find out. What he does and how he does it. And it's despicable.
1: There is one message. For both of these coaches. Now you have to bring your receipts. You don't have the luxury of sitting in front of a microphone. As the highest paid educator in your state. When you stand in front of men that play at your school. And tell them to represent the college that they're going to. You don't have the luxury in that moment. To come out and make accusations about somebody else. Without receipts. If you're Nick Saban. You knew exactly what you were doing. Whether you were talking to boosters, as some people have theorized, to try and figure out a way to bring money in so that you can do things differently. I don't give a damn. You knew the minute you threw Texas A&M out your mouth, you knew what you were doing. And you don't get to do that without coming back and saying, here's why I said what I said. You're not children. And then what's Jimbo doing his response? Just when you thought it was going well, he turns around and he says, hey, just check into his past. Okay, don't be vague with me. This isn't some weird gossip session. We're not playing mean girls at a college football press conference. Give me specifics. Man, it just drives me crazy when we start talking about coaches and we talk about the, the footprint that they represent, the the porch to so many schools, as they'll tell you that college football is the, the way that schools bring in so much attention. It's the way that fans all over the world find out about these brands. It's what brings people from all over the country to want to go to school here. It's why it's so important that we invest in these facilities and that we put these games on and that we do such great work around the sport You can't ask me to buy all of that and then ask me to buy that the educator, because remember, that's what they are. The educator that stands on the sideline with the title of head coach doesn't know what they're doing in front of a mic. And if you do know what you're doing, oh, if you do know what you're doing, you don't get to be passive aggressive. You don't get to be subtle. You don't get to turn around and give vague information with specific ramifications. That's not okay. That's not okay from adults. Ask yourself this. What would happen if it had been, I don't know, the star player? Pick any star player you want from Alabama that had said it one day, and then pick any star player you want from A&M that had made a response the next. What would these two coaches have done? We all know. We all know these two coaches would have absolutely... Flipped out at the players for going in and not thinking about what they're saying. Oh, now you've caused controversy, but it's okay when you're a coach. Man, I I just, I can't help but look at this and wonder what the SEC is thinking, what college football is thinking, and when we as the people that cover it and we as the people that love it and we as the people that watch it, when will we start to demand more? And I do mean demand. I'm squarely in the corner of name image likeness. I have always been and I always will be. And there is nothing you can say that will change my mind on whether or not these kids deserve their, their fair share of the pie. We've gone over that over and over and over again. And if you haven't heard my takes on it, go look for any of the Spain and Fitz podcasts. I've been consistent on this for years. But even if you hate it, Even if you hate the system, even if you're a coach trying to figure out how to navigate the system, at what point do you look in the mirror and realize that you, as the responsible adult, have a responsibility to gain an understanding on how to navigate the system the right way? And we keep looking around at these coaches as as examples. We keep looking around at these coaches trying to figure out how they're making all of it work and all they're doing. All they're doing is stirring the pot like children. Who are the adults in the room? You know, uh, so much of the NBA and the way we cover it is based on the drama. And that's what people love. People love the drama of players going after each other. People love the drama of Pat Bev talking smack about Chris Paul. People love all of the drama that we can possibly get. I put it out on Twitter, at Jason Fitz. What do you like best, Bravo drama, NBA drama, or college football coaching drama? So far, Coaching drama is absolutely winning, but you got to look around and say, okay, what are the expectations, depending on what your title is, for the amount of drama you're supposed to create? See, college football drama is about the fans. It's about the kids playing. It's about the love of the game. It's about the marching band. It's about the atmosphere in the stadium. It's about the generations and the people that have sat there with their grandparents and their grandkids all in one room at the same time, everybody watching the game they love. That's the drama. It's the pageantry of college football. It's the reason I love it. It's the reason I love covering college football. I will never apologize for wanting the people behind the scenes, the people standing on the sidelines, the people responsible for institutions, the people responsible for the growth of these young men. I will never apologize for demanding that they do better. Because right now, the biggest names and brands in college football are not just failing the kids that they represent. They're not just failing the schools that they represent when they make asses of themselves in a press conference. They're failing the entire sport. And until there's accountability, it won't stop. Spain and Fitz is presented by Progressive Insurance. And now a no-frills ad brought to you by Progressive. Here it is. You could say big when you bundle your home and auto Progressive. That's it. See? Just a good, old-fashioned, straightforward ad. See if you could save at 1-800-PROGRESSIVE or at Progressive.com. All right. The GOAT's going to join us next. We'll get back to everything you need to know about the NBA. We'll break down Heat Celtics game two next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Spain
0: and Fitz, the podcast.
1: Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, at Sirius XM Channel 80. Chase and Fitz flying solo. We're short tonight, taking it all the way up to 8 p.m. Eastern because obviously – ESPN Radio coverage of the ES, uh, the Eastern Conference Finals will begin then. Game 2 tonight uh, starts with that coverage at 8 p.m. The NBA playoffs are on ESPN Radio. Tune in tonight for the Eastern Conference Finals. I hope the Heat hosts the Celtics presented by Indeed. Coverage begins at 8 p.m. Eastern on most ESPN radio stations. 888-ESPN-888-729-3776. Uh, uh, we will in a few minutes give you guys the chance to chime in. Obviously, I've said some uh, some big things about Nick Saban, uh, about uh, Alabama, about Jimba Fisher and A and M. I will say quickly uh, that I do believe both uh, both sides are speaking still about what the others have or haven't said and uh, it, it, receipts. Just give it all to me. Just give me receipts, and we'll know what we're talking about. We are talking about. In the meantime, tonight's matchup. And for anyone that hasn't seen the news, it is big for the Celtics. Horford and Smart will be back on the court. What does that mean for this matchup? Obviously, the Heat won game one. But to the credit of the Celtics, I didn't expect game one to be uh, nearly as competitive as it was. And for much of it, I was nervous. I think that's why, if you look across the board, so many people that predicted this series to go towards Boston are still sitting there looking at Boston saying, well, a game one loss to the Heat in Miami is not that uh, not like it's that big a deal. How often do we all say it? Like if you made it a drinking game every time somebody says, it's not really a series until they win uh, an away game, right? Like So we all know that. We all know that that's a big portion of what we're looking for. That being said, there will still be some high expectations. I think in a strange way, Boston played so well in game one without Horford and Smart that it actually increases what we expect to see tonight. So we'll see how they deal with that. I'm going to get some expertise to bring in here and we do that in the form of ESPN NBA analyst Doris Burke, one of the best in the business. We're going to start with the the most important thing Doris, which is I saw on social media today a glorious announcement that you are now a grandmother. Congratulations. I hope everybody's happy, healthy and wonderful. Everybody is. Welcome
0: to the world, Harrison Reese. Thank you so much, Jace. Yeah, it's, uh, it's absolute, just pure
1: joy. Thank you. Well, I'm so happy for you. And if you, if you can't be sitting with your family, at least you get to sit around the Eastern Conference Finals. That's a great place to be. <laughs> uh, down zero, uh, down, down one game, I should say, here. What do the Celtics mm-hmm. need to do tonight? How does it change their game plan having the guys back?
0: Yeah, I mean, listen, you're bringing back the Defensive Player of the Year who would have been in the game in the fourth quarter when they, for 13 straight possessions or something along those lines, went directly at Peyton Pritchard, right? That's the Defensive Player of the Year in that pick-and-roll defense, or they're choosing somebody else. When the Celtics are whole, Jason, you know this. If Val Horford's at that four spot, uh, there's not a weak link to be picked on. And i got to be honest with you. You get the sense from the Celtics that there's no panic, that they feel they won three quarters, that the difference was the level of physicality, the level of intention, purpose, hustle, will. That is what changed the game in the third quarter. There is very few strategic adjustments, I think, in the Celtics' mind. This is about disposition tonight for them.
1: Torres, there's only a handful of coaches, I feel like, in the NBA that we all step back and say, oh, the adjustments from that guy makes such a huge difference. Spolstra is one of them. What adjustments does he make tonight for Miami?
0: It's interesting, you know. Uh, the guy is so humble. He's—you ask any player in the league or, or other coaches around the league. You know, name some of the elite coaches, and he is at the top of everybody's list, or right there at the very top of everybody's list. And you know, I asked him, "What is the through line for you guys in the third quarter?" Because it has been—I know you want more consistent effort. You were displeased with what happened in the first half, but the through line in their success in the playoffs has been third quarter differential. I said, so aside from brilliant coaching, and he laughed, and he said, I'm going to give you an example of how collaborative we are. He said, I barely opened my mouth at halftime of this game. It was the leadership that that spoke. It was the P.J. Tucker. It was Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo. And that's when you're at your best to me. It is the team controlling uh, not the X's nose, but the team controlling everything else. And I think you get that with the Miami Heat. I think one thing I'll be curious about, you know, we talked to him about Bam Adebayo, and our question essentially was, does he have to be a scorer for you guys? He said, I feel like I'm constantly in a position to educate people about what Bam's role is. He said, we do not define his success by the points he scores. Is he getting us great shots? Is his screening and elbow actions at the free throw line making us a better basketball team, giving us more options? Uh, so I, I, that's the one guy I'm curious about. You know, what kind of night does Bam have at all offensively?
1: If he is getting – if he's not manufacturing the points by himself and he's getting other people involved, who's the person not named Jimmy Butler that has to step up?
0: This is, this is a great question. I, th- I was intrigued by this. And I, I, this is – you know, you can only ask so many questions when you're in that, you know, five- to ten-minute <laughs> window with the coach. I mean, think about the two undrafted guys who came out in the second half – after really kind of struggling, I thought, in the first half, Gabe and Max Struess, who made all the difference, because I think what you'll see is an adjustment to the way they guarded Jimmy Butler. I think they were up and pressuring him, and I think what they may do is give Jimmy Butler more of a cushion and try to make Jimmy more facilitator. And so if he's the facilitator and they're not putting him at the free throw line, that means the spot-up guys around him have got to make shots. And to me... You know, that's Gabe, that's, that's Max Struess, that's P.J. Tucker in either corner. Um, and then obviously whatever you get from Hero when he comes in in his first rotation, six man of the year, led the NBA and points off the bench all season.
1: There's a million reasons why you're one of the GOATs, Doris, but one of those is that you manage to not be prisoner of the moment and find the right perspective. So give me the right perspective on how we should be talking about Jimmy Butler right now.
0: now. Yeah,
1: you know, it's funny, and this may be in the first
0: part of our broadcast tonight. When you face a Kevin Durant, or you face a Giannis Antetokounmpo, that famous Greg Popovich line about, you have to have appropriate fear. And I think because of the way Jimmy Butler goes about his business, where his first inclination is typically to pass, but when it becomes this time, then his inclination changes to, okay... There are times where I have to score. And I think he, he's almost taken his aggression to another level because of the absence of Kyle Lowry, who would be a big-time shot maker, as, as he's proven in his history. Um, I think Jimmy Butler has been, along with Luka Doncic, the, the most consistently good player in the playoffs. That's, that's how I think we need to view him right now. Uh, as he that Stephen A. Smith, y'all slept on me. That's truth, Jason.
1: That's an amazing text to get So I'll ask you the same question then About another star in this series Like, What's the appropriate way for us to look at Jason Tatum Who's had such a coming out party at times Throughout this playoff run
0: Yeah, you know, I first of all, it, you know, his performance in the last game to me does nothing to diminish. It's about what is over the long haul, you know, your performance been. And that 46-point performance he had in a must-win situation against Milwaukee and his consistent uh, his consistent big-time shot making tough twos, tough threes, tough restricted area shots every time his team needs it. I think he's obviously elevated himself to another level. I do have one criticism of him, Jason. Um, and I do think You saw this in the Milwaukee series, and I said it on our radio cast the other night. Too often for my comfort, particularly in the playoffs, Jimmy Butler is, I mean, uh Jason Tatum is getting disappointed. Maybe there's contact from Jimmy on a drive and the the official doesn't blow the whistle. Too often he is putting his team at a deficit in terms of defensive floor balance because he's spending an extra two or three or sometimes five seconds complaining about the call. If I had one criticism of Jason, that would be it. This young man is great. And I thought his uh, performance throughout the course of these playoffs has been very much like his idol, Kobe. But I think he needs to make sure that in those moments, like the playoffs can't afford you a five-second, you know, I'm going to stop and complain and bark to the official. He's got to be great, and he's got to lead beyond his basketball skill. And to me, whatever happens tonight with the
1: officials, just keep playing. You guys can follow her on Twitter at HeyDB, and of course check her out tonight on the ESPN Radio coverage of the Eastern Conference Finals. Doris, every time I see your sling commercial, I scream, I know her. It's so awesome. Thank you so much for (laughs) hanging out with me, my friend. Thanks for having me, Jace. Uh, Doris Burke doing great work. Coverage uh, tonight, Game 2. Coverage begins at 8 p.m. Eastern. That means we're going to get you right to that in just a few minutes. We don't want you to miss any of the action. I will tell you this. The SEC has decided to speak. They have spoken out about Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher, and it is a massive lost opportunity. I'm going to tell you what they said and we'll let you guys chime in on all of this. Say ES, 888, say ESPN 888-729-3776 Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio.
2: Spain and Fitz, the podcast.
1: Nick Saban, Jimbo Fisher, they've decided to use their microphone to have a very public battle about what is and isn't okay in recruiting and who has or hasn't done things the right way. And frankly, the consequence of it is the way we view all of college football, the way we view their programs, the way we view the SEC. And the problem is there's no easy solution without demanding accountability. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. We'll get you back to the NBA in just a few minutes. Obviously, you guys can chime in on this. 888-888-729-3776. Uh, You know how I feel about name, image, likeness, uh, but this is different than that. This is coaches coming out and talking about the wild, wild west and talking about a situation where Nick Saban is flat out saying that Jimbo Fisher, he flat out said that Jimbo Fisher came out and did things with A&M that weren't allowed, and then he tried to walk it back. And Jimbo came out and said, hey, look into his past. Like They are talking so mean girls about each other when realistically we should be demanding receipts. Now, they're not the only coaches involved because, remember, at this event where Nick Saban was talking about the players that have been bought by AM, he also mentioned that uh, Deion Sanders and Jackson State went out, and they use name image likeness to buy a player. Deion Sanders doesn't give a damn. You know that. He was quick to make a response, which he did today with Anscape. Check out what he said. I haven't talked to Coach
2: Saban, I'm pretty sure he's tried to call. But they, we need to talk publicly, not privately. What you said was public. That is not a private conversation. Let's talk publicly and let everybody hear the conversation. Yeah,
1: you can't do that publicly being called private. No, 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 no. Dion went on to say that he understood that statement was for, I think his word was, the bagmen, uh, the people that donate to Alabama. But, see, the thing is, you start messing with Dion, he doesn't care. Like, he he has nothing to lose by uh, suddenly looking and saying, oh, but it's Nick Saban. He's Dion Sanders. He's not going to hold his tongue. And frankly, if he's being accused of doing something that is at all not right, he shouldn't hold his tongue. By the way, Spain and Fitz, the road to the rematch is on. Bantamweight champ Juliana Pena and former champ Amanda Nunez go head-to-head. As coaches on the historic 30th season of The Ultimate Fighter. Stream the series now exclusively on ESPN+. Plus. Sign up now at ESPNplus.com. Now, the SEC had an opportunity. Greg Sankey, the commissioner of the SEC, had an opportunity. When they released a statement, I jumped for joy. Oh, my God, the SEC's going to comment. What are they going to tell us? Quote, The membership of the Southeastern Conference has established expectations for conduct and sportsmanship that were not met last night nor today. A hallmark of the SEC is intense competition within an environment of collaboration. Public criticism of any kind does not resolve issues and creates a distraction from seeking solutions from the issues facing college athletics today. It went on to talk about the frustration around name-image likeness, working together to find solutions. This was an opportunity for the SEC. It was an opportunity for the SEC to stand up and say, you know what? We're going to handle our drama in-house. How many times have you had an argument with somebody in your family and you realize that, hey, family can yell behind closed doors, but, man, the minute uh, the neighbors knock on the door to bring over cookies, you're all smiles. I think all my parents ever did was argue until the minute my friends came over and then, bam, smiles. Why? Because you keep that in-house. I spent years of my life on tour buses arguing with people. You're living in a tiny space. Sometimes you just lose it, and I get it. It happens. But you argue behind closed doors. The minute you walk off that bus, you're all smiles. Most importantly, when you're having all of those issues, when you're having all of those arguments, nobody cares when you start the show. Nobody cares if you're having a good day when you stand on stage and you're getting ready to play a solo. Nobody cares If Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher like each other, if they have arguments about this process, nobody cares until Nick Saban makes them care. That's power of the microphone. And power from a microphone isn't always used well. I say it all the time. Like one of the craziest things about Twitter, for example, is it gives everybody a voice. But not everybody knows how to use that voice the right way. And some people use that voice destructively. Now, you can't educate everybody, but you can try. You can certainly sit down in front of your players when you're a coach and say, hey, we're going to help you. We're going to give you some media training. We're going to make sure that you know what to say, when to say it, and how to say it. How often do we see a coach say something and we're all, I can't believe that was said. But then we turn around and say, wait a minute, translate that. Who is he speaking to? See, he really wanted the guys to get this message to the media. She really wanted the girls to get this message through the press. Maybe Nick Saban really wanted his donors to get a message about the way they're going to need to do business. But you knew what you were doing. See, it's not complicated to sit in front of a microphone and say, look, everybody else in the SEC is doing things differently than we are. We're trying our best, but I don't know if we can compete in this wild, wild west. He didn't say that. He came out and specifically said a and bought their players, whatever he meant. Boy, I would hope that, you know, a coach that's an educator making over $10 million a year would know how to use a microphone and say what he means. But even if he didn't mean it that way, what he said specifically was about one coach, was about one program, and now you have Jimbo doing the same to him? The shame here is that Greg Sankey has now allowed this to be acceptable. A statement saying that's not how we do business doesn't really stop any of it. A statement that comes out and says, we're going to talk to both programs, both coaches, and we demand that everybody sit down, shut up, and color in their books. That's a statement. In fact, A&M's athletic director went to Sankey and said, we believe that Nick Saban's statements violate the rule of sportsmanship in the SEC. And guess what? I don't think he's wrong. See, if you're innocent and you're Texas A&M, you did nothing. You've done everything right, exactly as you're supposed to, which is what they contend that they've done. Man. I am absolutely taking Nick Saban to task. And I'm going to Greg Sankey right away, and I'm saying this is not enough. I will not be quiet until he comes out with whatever proof he thinks he has that we've done something the wrong way. Anything short of that, anything short of that, people wonder. People start thinking, "Uh, maybe they really did do it. College football fans, and I love y'all. Like, I make my living – Partially, in a large part, because of my work around college football. I love college football fans. Y'all are some wild conspiracy theorists, though. Let's be real. Everybody's convinced that their school's not cheating, everybody else is cheating. Everybody's got it out for their favorite team. The kickoffs are being moved because they're trying to screw over this team and that. Like the wild conspiracy theories. Y'all could make your life so much easier if you just enjoyed your team, stayed in your lane, stopped worrying about everything else that you think is going on. Because I promise you, it's not that complicated. But you think it is. And now, for all of those fans and for everybody that watches the sport, man, Nick Saban poured gasoline on it. He's absolutely torched this whole thing. And the entire time, he's playing the victim. Oh, it's the Wild West. I don't know if we can compete. Oh, how will we ever get it done? I don't know, Nick. I'm pretty sure you'll figure it out. And I'm pretty sure that going out and calling out other people for things they may or may not have done without any actual receipts isn't helping you get any closer. What was the point? What was the purpose? If you're Nick Saban, if the purpose was to raise more money, you did it in a way with collateral damage that should never be allowed. If the purpose was just to take a blowtorch to the college football system, guess what? You're not God. You can't do that. The courts have stepped in. And as powerful as Alabama and Nick Saban might think they are, last time I checked, the courts are more powerful. So at some point, you got to look around and say, hey, may not be the gig I signed up for, but it's the gig I got, and I'm going to do it. Shame on you for doing this to college football. And guess what? Shame on you, Jimbo Fisher, for coming out and saying, hey, just look into his past. That's no better. That is no better. Give me specifics or don't speak at all. And in the meantime, what we have yet again is college sports being impacted by a bunch of adults that don't know how to not act like children. That is the damn shame through all of it. Remember, we started talking about whether or not we should end handshakes at college basketball games, not because of the kids, but because of the adults. Now, yet again, the adults are getting in the way of the sport that we love.
0: Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz
2: podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at seven Eastern on ESPN radio and on the ESPN app.